you're tuned in to another episode of Black Women Voices. We're in season two, and this is episode 11. And we're talking with Marissa Darby about first year experiences in the midst of COVID-19. Stay tuned. Welcome, welcome back to Black Women Voices. We are in season two, episode 11. This is Dr. K on the ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Y'all like that. Y'all like that. Y'all like I that. I love that. Y'all like that. And here, and here. <laughs> Dr. B. Woo! Yes. And definitely shout out to our other co-host, Jasmine Lewis, holding it down. Um, we are talking about something really important during this time, during the season, as we, some of us, well, I guess all of us in some aspect, prepare to go back to our prospective colleges in the midst of COVID. Uh, we have a special guest with us, um, someone that is dope to me, so, not just because I know her, but just because of who she is. Someone who I know is going to bring some wisdom to the conversation. She's representing, y'all know. Y'all know Here we go. Know. All year long. <laughs> you know what? You can have it. All year long. You know what? You know, it's centennial year for the ladies of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. And, you know, she's a member. So I'm just going to let her introduce herself. Uh, but welcome to the show, Marissa. Welcome. You know, it's 2020 and it's, it's going to be 2020 for the next 20 years. But oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so, uh, my name is Marissa Darby. I am born and raised in Louisiana. Um, right now, I'm kind of growing up in Texas. Texas is raising me a little bit. I spent a little time in Vegas working at UNLV. I'm a two-time alum of the Grambling State University. There's okay. no other institution on the planet like it. Um, wow, okay. So I'm excited to represent, to have this conversation. So, you know, this is my first time actually talking about it in a public setting. Mm. I'm used to doing, like, trainings with my staff or team or new new hires and stuff but to have a really public conversation this is the first time i'm here yes yes shout out to gremlin shout out to all the hbcus in the nation let's um get into the conversation first uh what i wanted to kind of just get out there is what led you to want to work with first year students so it starts with my mom. My mom uh, started college but couldn't finish because she found out that she was pregnant with me. Um, I am the oldest of three. And so it was my mom's dream for all three of her children to go to college and get a degree. My journey to that was not the traditional four in, four out type situation. I was a mom. I had two not one, but two little ones, two boys that whom I love dearly. Um, I had them when I was really young. I was a good student, but I managed to, you know, take the long and scenic route. So um, that was part of how I got into being non-traditional. And I watched my journey kind of flourish that way because no one thought that I could do it. Everybody thought that since I had become a mom so early, one, I wouldn't even go to college. So my mom's dream would be void. Right. 
and that I would just wouldn't be successful at all. And so that kind of was the push I needed in addition to being someone's mom and knowing that they were watching me and anything I didn't do would give them a reason to not do it. And I couldn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going through the motions of college. Like I was playing college. I went and then I played and, you know, I couldn't really figure out who I wanted to be. And then one day, Dr. Pamela Payne, I will never forget her face or her name as long as I live. She pulled me to the side and she asked me, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even answer that question because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to play a game of figuring out how I was going to do this because I really didn't have anyone to tell me how this was done this way. Right. Um, she taught me how to silence the noise of everything that I had done wrong and to take everything that I felt I was most ashamed of and that I was kind of embarrassed about how to take that and turn it into positive and being able to do that, um, that brought, that took me where I needed to go. And it really helped me become the woman that I am and to know that these are the types of students that I want to serve. I owe it to her. I owe it to Grambling State University for taking me back the couple of times they had to take me back and to my children and my mom to go back and serve those who were like me um, and needed somebody to come in and say, what are you doing? Why are you here? And that's kind of how I found my way to that place. So what um, what would you tell first year students that may have similar stories to you that are kind of contemplating if they even have the ability to pursue a degree? Well, the first thing I would tell them is to differentiate between who you are and who everyone wants you to be. Start right there. Um, Decide, make a decision in your quiet space that who people say I am doesn't mean that's who I have to be. Um, And you have the right to become whomever you decide. Um, It's important also to know as a freshman that where you've been is only going to make where you go even that more exciting and you're going to appreciate it so much more. Um, I was a teenage mom, um, not once, but twice. I got married my sophomore year of college. I flunked classes that I should have passed. I got into an abusive relationship. I fell in love with the wrong person. I fell in love with the right person at the wrong time. I did so many things that last week I was too embarrassed to say out loud that as I've grown over the years, I realize it makes me who I am and it, it pours into my purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. We do, Mm. but he takes our mistakes and turns them into masterpieces. Wow. So in turn, any new student coming in, I would tell them, I don't care where you've been. Just don't allow where you've been to keep you where you are. Right. So just take those hurts, take those pains, take those mistakes and say, okay, well, I did this. 
but I'm going to do something else. And then when you see somebody going down the path that you are going on, do your part and say, hey, let me stop you right there. Let me tell you what happened to me that one time at this one party when I did this one thing. Right. And how it messed up everything for me and how I was able to survive it. And that genuine honesty is going to help somebody. Yeah. Paying it forward. Yeah. That, that's it. Wow. Listen, I, I am. Whew, I'm thankful for you. I'm thank you. I'm thankful for God putting a spirit in you to not give up so that you can share this at this appointed time. Um, cause it's timely and it's needed. And I hope that you continue to, to share your story as a way to, um, bring first year students that may be hesitant, um, about going to college because of whatever, um, is going on in their life that they have at least some type of support that someone has been there, uh, where they've been, um, where they are. So thank you. Thank you for your honesty and thank you for your, your truth. It, it a lot of things happened. I had to grow up. Yeah, and you still, and for me, it's the fact that you know I've heard I've had you know some friends, some colleagues, etc., that you know may have had kids, etc., uh, but decided to stop and not go back to school. But not only did you go back and finish, you're now working in higher ed. Like that's I'm, that's my purpose. Yeah. Um, God gives us purpose and, and that's mine and I knew it and I didn't want to be because I went to school to be an accountant because I wanted to be rich because my um, high school teacher made me take this accounting class and I was really good at it because I, I love to know where my coins are Right. and so I was really good at it and she was like coming from I'm from a small country town um, lower socioeconomic background so all I wanted was I wanted to get out and to get out meant getting rich meant getting out Mm. So when she told me I could get rich in accounting, I was like, wait one minute. And so I went to college and originally majored, uh, went to college originally and majored in accounting. And it was like, this is not for me. Right, I right. can do it, but I don't have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of deciding to stop out again, because I wanted to go home and take care of my son, he got sick again. I started realizing that this wasn't where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up majoring in English. English. And it was then that I was like, oh, okay. So there's this. Yeah. Dope. See, I told y'all she was dope. Y'all gonna start believing me one day. <laughs> we, it's not, we believe you. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. You know, I mean, I, I can definitely, I work on a campus where we have a lot of students that 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 is their that's their testimony right we have a lot of what we maybe would consider non-traditional or we you know what i wouldn't even say non-traditional we had a lot of stu parents student parents that attend and that is gratifying to see them get across and get and get through and to do it unapologetically especially when you're following your passion right it, I worked with accounting students for, for some years and you're right. Like, especially black students, when they want to go into accounting, it's about money. It's about making money and getting out. And then, but, but most of the time it's not a passion, you know? So, so no, but that was a big transition from accounting to English. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. 
it was huge, but it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was worthwhile. And again, that put a little more length on my journey. So just keep in mind, I already started late. I still mm -hmm. have two kids at home um, that are trying to get it. Sophomore year, I got married. Um, like it was just a series of things trying to be everything everybody wants me mm -hmm. versus who I knew I was supposed to be. That was, that's another struggle we face when we go to college is who does my, everybody want me to be? Who do they need me to be? But who am I? Right. So that's, again, my first year thoughts is who you, who people want you to be versus who you are. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's major. Um, we don't, we don't have those kinds of conversations with first year students, especially with first gen students. And, you know, they're navigating this for the first time by themselves. They don't have anybody to kind of give them a quote unquote roadmap. Um, so that, yeah. Now, COVID is here. And there are thousands of students who were so glad to be leaving high school so that they can go to college. Then COVID happened. Many of them did not get to walk across the stage in high school. And now their first semester or first year in college is going to look a lot different than what they expected. It is. It is. Um, they're going to have a, a first year experience, but it's going to be experience like none of us ever had before. So this is going to be new for all of us. Right. Of right. How are we going to be able to give them everything that they need, the full gamut of experience. Mm -hmm. um, but the online ones, I, I feel for them because they're not going to get that chance to grow up. Going to college taught me a lot. My grandmother gave me $800. I will never forget it. I had a car that was probably worth the same $800. It was the best that I had and told me, I'll see you at graduation, perhaps. Wow. And I packed all of my stuff in the car and was like, now nah, go get it. Um, that, that's all she had to say. I think about new student orientation and you get to campus early, you get to meet the other new people, you're doing all these events. That ain't really happening. So from your point of view, uh, what, what is it, what is this, ex is it going to be an, ex well, it, is, it will be an experience, but <laughs> what kind of Or is it happening? I think some campuses are going to make it happen. So mm -hmm. on my campus, it is going to happen. Um, we are having orientation because um, I'm speaking at orientation um, this year. So what I think first year experience will look like, it's going to look like, I hate to say it, chaos at first because mm -hmm. everybody's going to be finding their bearings, just being honest, because I want to give you the quality experience. I want you to, you know, to have to do, make decisions on your own, to have time paperwork, to have I want you to have meaningful conversations, but have a meaningful conversation with your mask on. Mm. You know, so it's going to be chaotic at first because we're all dancing on a very interesting line. Right. Um, so 
I'm excited and scared at the same time because I believe if we all can get through this, if we can navigate this correctly, we can almost navigate anything. Mm-hmm. If, if we don't, yeah. then what happens to that, those students that we bring in, the 50% that are first gen, the ones who are already doubting themselves about, can I even do this college thing? Right. And then you have the ones that were super high achieving, but don't realize that this is not high school anymore. Mm -hmm. And the same luxuries you may have had where I know your mom and dad a little bit, so I can kind of work with you. You may not have those same luxuries when you get to college. So how it's going to be a fine line. So I'm interested, dare I say excited, to see how we do this thing. I'm, I feel for these students. I like, do, yeah. it, was, it was one thing to feel for the students that were graduating and then get to experience the rest of senior year, et cetera. Um, but these students that are coming in to college for the first time and, you know, all your life for some of them have been talking about going to college and what it's going to be like your first year. And yeah. It's not. It's not. Because, you know, like you said earlier, there's some some schools that will be all face-to-face. Some are totally all online. And then there's some that are going to do a hybrid type of thing where you have some classes that are face-to-face, some that are online. Well, and I have a question, though, with that. Like, so even thinking about the whether you know hybrid online all of that we understand that first year experience or for first year students um need a different type of support mm-hmm. and removing the layer of having someone there um places a whole another pl- level of anxiety so do you think even in the ways that we support first year students specifically do you feel like it would look different for our black and brown students? Um, thinking of how that would transition in the land of COVID, because I think, I mean, I've seen, you know, cause we've talked about it before. I've seen ACPA try to put out different webinars in terms of engaging students and all of that, but understanding that first year students need something different, but adding a layer of race and thinking about what this summer has been, you know, because even though we as Black folks know that we're not post anything, but yet again, seeing another murder after another murder and, you know, coming into school and not really being able to connect in a way to the folks who you're supposed to, um, what does supporting, how, how, how do we transition the ways that we're thinking about this in terms of supporting Black and Brown students during this COVID time? So I think we have to look at whether it's online or face-to-face because it's going to be different. The support will be different for that. For face-to-face, and I kind of look and I'm looking at that more closely again because I'm at an institution where we will be face-to-face. And I want to be able to be on the ground level of making sure our students are getting the support that they need. One, it starts with having policies in place that protect our students. Because um, as a parent, being as a parent, and I send my child to a school, the first thing I want to know is if my child has an issue, what do they do first? And when the university can't answer that question, it's where I have a problem. So step one is having policies in place that say, if this happens, this is where you go. So you know where your resources are. 
you know where your safe spaces are. Um, having mental health counseling available to the students, whether it's we outsource it through, you know, an uh, outside entity or we have a counselor on campus that specializes in it because our kids are traumatized. We're traumatized as staff. Yes, yes. We feel we tip we're tiptoeing around some of our other colleagues, not because they've done anything to us, it's because we don't know what they're thinking. Right. Um, we don't know how they feel. Um and you know I typically, I I transition from wearing my hair straight or curly or whatever, my natural hair, whatever I just decide to do that week. And I feel timid sometimes. It's like, are you intimidated by me when my hair is curly and it's just all over the place? And do you, because I I notice sometimes that some people kind of react differently just when I go to the store. When my hair is straight versus if I wear it curly or whatever, people kind of look at me a little differently sometimes. So we have to make sure that our students, our black and brown students know where they say space are, know where they can go. If something happens, I know I can go here and I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be so important. Um, Also training for faculty. Because sometimes our faculty can be very uh, callous. Um, And that's not to nitpick on one person or another, but, you know, they get into the, I'm tenured, I have these things, and and I can do and say whatever without consequence. Mm -hmm. And I think faculty need to be educated on triggers, on what's a trigger. Um, How do I handle if a student gets, if there's just a debate in class about any random thing, and I notice this trigger what do i do so the proper training for the faculty to know what to do in those how to de-escalate certain situations versus calling campus safety because now it's got heated but i'm saying calling campus safety trigger right if it's not a situation that requires campus safety but because as a faculty i don't know what to do i just say oh it's a miss it's a disagreement i'm gonna call campus safety we have to know the students we serve. Like I, I really, really harp on that. You're gonna hear me say that a million times is knowing the students we serve and serving them well. Mm-hmm. So that's what first year is gonna look like is we are really going to have to look at this data, ingest this data, become this data. Who are these students? Let me understand where they're coming from. Are they from big towns, small towns? Are they from Chicago? Are they from Atlanta? Are they from places where they have firsthand experience with what is going on or have been in certain situations? What are their household sizes like? Ingesting the data, knowing my students, serving them the best way I know how. Can I jump in real quick? Because what one of the things that you just said was very um, interesting because I, I do work at a university that has a large group of students that do come from the Chicago area. Um, They come, you know, students come from all over, but we definitely know that. And so this idea of what public safety is, um, is a very interesting one. And how you define that is interesting. You know, one of the things that I, um, I shouldn't say that I'm afraid of, but that I, that lead me to have some caution is how are we going to welcome these students back in a way that is not performative basically you know how do we do it how how does public safety 
because traditionally this is what I have heard. What I have heard is in a lot of ways, it's, oh, no, no, no. Let me educate you on what you should not do. Mm -hmm. Right. Or let me, you know, or how you should not behave. But we have a really hard time with getting to know our student population and faculty members and staff members, because honestly, for a lot of faculty, there are no consequences to poor behavior. So I'm just interested. Maybe that was a rant. Maybe there was a question in there somewhere. But it's like, how do you make that transition? Right. And, And then from a student advocacy piece, how do we help students to like, let them know you don't have to, this is how you can advocate for yourself so that you don't have that performative. You don't have to accept that as a member of this campus community. I think as practitioners of color, it's our responsibility to do that wherever we serve, whether it's a majority or a minority serving, because you can still have those things happen on a minority serving campus. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's our responsibility to create these spaces to make sure that in the orientation, whether it's a virtual orientation, it's a physical orientation that we are saying, Hey, these are things you should know. These are the things that should not happen. And then these are also the time that we can have important conversations with our students. Like tell me a little bit about you. Let me get to know you in that orientation piece because, again, collecting data about the students. Some data you cannot collect on a bachelor, on an application for admission, or even in an interview that you can collect in a general conversation because when students know that you genuinely care Mm -hmm. about what's going on with them, they're going to be honest with you. And that gives you an opportunity to also be honest with them. Um, about what's about to happen in this new experience, this new college life experience. So one thing I appreciate about institutions that I previously served at, our orientation, we got to spend a lot of one-on-one time with our students, like small group time to kind of talk to them and put them in situations where they feel we create scenarios. If this happens, then that, and you get to learn a lot about students just putting, playing games. What we consider games is really research. True. So (laughs) I think we can do similar things, whether it's virtual or in person, but we have to take the lead. We can't expect someone to do it. Hope it gets done, then complain when it doesn't. Listen, and and for me, I'm thinking about, we're talking about how do we educate students on... Uh, self-advocacy and etc and I'm thinking about the staff and faculty that don't even have a sense of self-advocacy um we this this you couldn't have paid me enough to make this up what we're going through right now and I think about so I'm gonna be transparent I think about faculty and staff that was barely doing the minimum for our students before COVID. And they still employed and we have COVID and we have racism issues still. Uh-huh. What they gonna do? <laughs> what we gonna I I'm just I'm nervous. I I am I am completely nervous because I've for the last couple of weeks and months I've been sitting on panels and webinars um, around data and we're talking about this equity-minded assessment 
and I've typically been the only black person that's speaking. And in each one that I've participated in, I said, I want to take this privilege of being a black woman and say something. Because we can't tiptoe around it. Um, and when you think about data, you have to, in one of the conversations I had, you have to be mindful of the questions that you ask. Because questions about wellness to um, a white student right now versus questions of wellness to a black student right now has to be different. It has to be different. Uh, but if you don't understand that concept of assessment and it's the same question, the, the data is already jacked up. And then on top of that, it's who's reporting the data? What story are they telling about the students that we have? You know, because it may come that, you know, our students are from, you know, very diverse backgrounds. Uh, they're 4.0 students. They're going to be great. But we know when we talk to them one-on-one -on -one or see them at orientation and having those conversations with them and their parents, that's not the makeup of the students. That's what they look like on paper. But in reality, those aren't our students. So collecting that information and knowing what information we're collecting and who's collecting that uh, uh, student demographic of these first year students is going to be important. Because really. you're right, you can paint any picture you want with data. Mm -hmm. It's about who has the brush mm -hmm. and the at yep. the time that you decide to tell the story. Right. Um, but you're right, we will. And our students, more importantly, again, I, I press upon us because we we know what needs to be done so in the spaces that we're in we have to do our part right um and that is my goal is to make sure that i put myself in a position to be able to be whatever i need to be in that space for those students for all students for whatever the situation is but especially our students because who else will mm. If not me, then who? Like, that's just a lesson that I've learned just growing up and, you know, raising two sons. If not me, then who? Right. Who's going to who's gonna tell you, who's going to do what needs to be done? Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is, this is, like, I knew the topic was going to be good, but I ain't know it was going to be this good. <laughs> this is real. This is real life right here. Well, yeah, I, and I think that just as much for first-year students, I don't think any of our students are prepared mm -mm. to to come back to come back if they are coming back. I don't. I mean, just as much as I don't think that we were prepared for them to be at home and all of the adjustments we would need to make for them to be at home. I mean, you know, people weren't at home. College was their their come away. Right, right. From bad situations or they didn't have computers or they didn't have Internet or, you know, whatever. Or they had sisters and brothers in the background going crazy while they were trying, you know, or professors weren't reaching out. It, it's all of these things that we felt like it. You know what? I really feel like COVID-19 amplified a lot of the issues that students had been talking about in terms of our their education, quality of education. Um, but a lot of the work that we do in the diversity space, literally, we've been saying some of this stuff for years right, and, right. and it just all came to fruition right now. And I think that um, our students who are coming back to college are going to need just as much of an orientation of what it looks like now. Hmm. 
right? I work at a cultural resource center and we, we're used to like being able to chop it up and sit in the lobby and kick it, right? And this year we're facing not even being able to have class in our building. Right. Right. And so I, with the pressure that it is, that, that there is on faculty and staff, how, how do we reorient those students who are not first year? That was my favorite question that I looked at. And I was like, so this is my perfect world. Remember I asked you, can I use, can I paint my perfect world situation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So for our other students, so I have this model. This is not in a book. So nobody can, I, I did not find this in a book. This is just something that in practice, because I've taught first year classes um, for seven and a half years. Um, for the last three years, it was a leadership version um, targeted at women. It was a women's leadership course. And then there was a men's course and we kind of intertaught those two courses together. But first year, it for all of our students, every year is an experience in itself. Mm-hmm. So I created this matrix. So I have first year is the transition year. That's the year where, where I have to ask that hard question, who are you? Who do you want to be versus who do people think you are where you start teaching them that, oh, you're not in high school anymore. And no matter whether it was a great high school experience or a horrible one, you're still starting a new one. This is a new chapter of your life. So first year is that transition year. So with these kids that we're bringing in, we're going to have to transition them in a way that we haven't even been transitioned yet, but we're going to have to transition them. Second year, I call it the buy-in year. So second year experience is the buy-in year. That's the year where they start, they kind of in cruise control because it's like, I got this a little bit, but I'm still not sure. And that's the year we have to put a lot of encouragement. So the second year students that are coming back is going to be encouraging them to continue on because they can do this. It's still the same model. So when these come back, we're going to encourage them. We're going to remind them of the things we taught them before. This is who you want to be. So these are the steps you need to take. Third year, which is junior year experience, and for some schools, I see they have all of these different experience groups. Junior year, I tell my freshmen, it's the hardest year of your life because that is the year of connection. That's the year that everything we taught you in those first two years start to make sense. That's when they realize, oh, it does matter. Oh, this is happening. Not only am I in my major classes, but my friend group is changing because I'm changing and things in my family life are not quite as important as it was before because now I realize that I'm building a life of my own. So I'm I'm transitioning into something else. So when our juniors return in this situation, they're going to be connecting the dots that this could be their new normal forever or for at least another five years. So it's still the year of connection is just going to be us remembering that that's the year we have to allow them to connect the dots. Well, now we're going to have to kind of be in there connecting our own dots and making sure that they're getting the same, the resources they need because it's harder now. And senior year being the year of completion is how my matrix is set up. So that's the year that's stressful. I consider it the stressful year because I learned something from Dr. Payne that I never forgot. I didn't understand it at first, but right about the second half of my senior year to graduate, I got it. She said, the last mile is the longest. And when she first told it to me, I was like, well, a mile is the same distance every time. 
She was like, but yeah, when you're on your fourth lap, that last mile hurt because the first one, you're feeling real good about yourself. The second one, you warmed up. The third one is kind of like, oh, oh. but that fourth one is like, Jesus, just let me get to the end. I just, I just want to lay down. So by senior year, they so stressed out because it's like, not only do I have to pass all these classes, but I have to go get a job. I have to pay these loans back. Like my mama said, I can't come home. Like it's a whole lot of different things. And so with our seniors returning to this new normal, we have to prepare them to go out into this new normal while still making sure that they're academically excellent because they have to pass these classes and they have to put themselves in a position to be successful and to be hireable. So that's the matrix that I build for how I would teach my class to prepare them and how I mentor my students in the matrix of where they fall. But when each one of these come back, we have to do the same things. We have to be, we have to know where they are in their journey, their academic journey. So when our students come back, this is all, this is all Greek to them. Mm. And me too, but I'm going to pretend I speak Greek. I'm going to have me a little, um, a little app that tells me how to speak this Greek and I'm going to work it out because I have to. And I think that's where we all come in as practitioners again, is understanding the journey our students are on and going on it with them and showing them how to do this and letting them know, hey, no, you might have to wear a mask till 2022. You might have to work from home. You might get a great job at this amazing company and have to work from home. So the discipline it takes to do that, because it's hard. I I get distracted easily (laughs) when I'm working from home. I hear a sound and I didn't put my computer. I start walking around to see what's going on. (laughs) I was at work. I wouldn't even move. I barely go to the bathroom at work. (laughs) We have to, we just have to learn, take the lessons that we're learning and teach it to them on the level that they're on. First, um, this matrix that you created, you need to publish it. Ooh, to find the time to write a sentence down. That no part, problem. that part, yeah. that part, Kelly. That's what whatever, I was thinking. I was like, whatever, I wrote it. Whatever you need help with. Somebody will try to take that. Let, let, let us know. Let me know. Because that, I, 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 I'm listening to it. And I'm like, yeah, transition year, buy-in year, connection year, completion year. Yes. That's you know what? Something I want to say about that to what you said. Like you, you, your immediate response was, oh, I got to find the time to write. Do you know how much time you give to making sure that students get the things that they need to have in their lives? And we don't take that much time to to. This is why black women don't get cited for our work. And then somebody else takes it and it's like, it's a genius idea, except we had already come up with it. Mm-hmm. Preach. Amen. So all I'm saying is get, give the fine balance and giving them time. And I think that that's excellent. We, we need to know that, especially in the COVID world where people are like, oh no, oh, everything's online. It's harder for some faculty members to teach online. It is harder for students to pay attention and be engaged online. It is harder for student affairs professionals to to do different things with students. The least you can do is give yourself some time to write an article for your career. Mm -hmm. And I'm done. If all the stars line up and everything goes exactly as they should, I should be in a doctoral program in August. I'm just waiting. Fingers crossed. Come on. Um, And... 
it's a developmental ed doctoral program. So I would be able to write this mm -hmm. as going towards my dissertation of yeah. uh, first year students serving how to serve first year students from um, matriculation to completion. Well, listen, even if you present on it a couple of times, yep. someone has to be able because I had a con I had a similar conversation with a friend of mine who created something bomb. And I was saying, listen, I, I've not seen anybody do anything like this. So I, I had the same conversation of her, you know, publishing it, doing something. Um, and so she wasn't comfortable with publishing, but she was really comfortable with presenting. So she presented it so much. So now people have to really do cite. They really have to cite her for everything. So just the thing is, is there has been proven record of when uh, the ideas of black women get utilized by others because you know, well, you're going to do it anyway. So I would love to write it. Actually, I would like to do that in this year of COVID um, and try to get that to be one of my first real publications. Um, is that, like I said, I, you never really think about the things that we do as research worthy. We think of it as this is what I'm supposed to be doing because it makes sense. So saying it to you all, I never really thought about publishing. I'm just, this is how I live my everyday life, how I've lived my life for my last 10 years in higher ed. This is how I govern myself by my students. And I never really felt like it was worthy of a conversation. It's just me being transparent with you all and how I do business. Listen, so. God makes no mistakes. You hear me? And there are different platforms to get that published without you having to write too much. So now that I know, <laughs> it's over now. You got to get it done. Yes, up. It's written down in my little, on my little handy bag. <laughs> so at least it's happening. Now that I know, I know what exactly to send you now. Um, where you can literally get it at least out there, um, published somewhere. And I'm not talking published in terms of an article. Um, probably by the end of next month. I can I can make I can do my part. You give me what I need to do. I can do my part. Oh, that's all I needed to hear. See, I won't gonna tear it too long. I won't gonna. <laughs> I ain't messing with you. <laughs> We're gonna make this thing happen. Shoot, that man. I mean, because I think that that is a part of what's missing in that first year orientation experience. To be honest, is is the you know when we look at the who's coming to college, it's a decline actually in white students who are going to college, and the the uptick is is really in those students who are um, I know from the the Latinx community, but also black students. Like they're going to college and droves and we don't necessarily I don't know if we have there could be and I just don't know because I'm not a first year person but I always think about um who are the people who think for diverse populations in terms of first year you know, mm -hmm. you know it's funny because those committees exist in SACRO and ACRO and TACRO I know I know y'all know what I'm referring to so you know just based on my region I'm SACRO TACRO in addition and those committees exist, but I, I guess we don't, a lot of times some of us don't really look at what those have to offer us in order to be able to be put in a situation where we could be of benefit in that way. 
but I was just looking at it just recently and I was like, you know what, I have to do something. So I was just like, I'm signing up for these committees and, but I'm actually going to do things on these committees. I don't just want to be a member. I want to be able to have an active role in evolving where we all go, because you're right. We are going to college now because we realize that there's some, there's some, there's something to that. That I mean, there, that's, there's a lot we can do with that. Um, so I'm excited for that trend. It's just COVID-19 was, so I, I posted a while ago, 2020 is still the year of perfect vision. Yeah. It's just now we see everything that we can't unsee. Come Oh, that's good. I thought to walk around this whole entire house. You hear me? Say that again. No, but it, but like really, like think about it, like we are seeing everything. Perfect vision means seeing it all. Hmm. If we ask God, give us give us clarity, give us twenty twenty vision. He said, "All right, bet." And oh. now we see systemic racism. Now we see the holes in our educational system. Now we see some of the flaws in our policies and procedures in the way that we serve students and the evolving level of education that is required for the people that are coming behind us. And so 2020 showed us everything we needed to see. And it's just not done yet, but it made us sit down because we were so busy being in other people's business. And, and we were so busy, busy. Yes. You know what? See it. Now we do. So yes, you got exactly what you asked God for. Be careful what you ask him for. He yes. will give it to you. And we got it. 2020 vision. What are we going to do now? We see it. We can't tell God. I didn't know that this was happening. We know. So what are we going to do? Ooh, that was a word, right? Ooh, I think that you're absolutely correct. And I think that people who weren't seeing it before or who were ignoring it before mm -hmm. are, are being forced to pay attention, right? You know, because we are in a capitalist society and people don't want to lose students. They don't want to, and, and they don't want to be also clowned on the internet because your university is doing X, Y, and Z, your faculty. And so I think now people don't want to be embarrassed, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so as a result of that, like they're paying attention because now, especially with COVID, I think the, the, the rise of the understanding and the actual, the, the ex, not everybody don't accept it, of systemic racism and oppression, I think that students have a choice. And they can choose you based on how you're going to treat them. Mm -hmm. And we just, I'm, I'm just, I'm sitting back like, wow. Okay, then. Because it's not like people you're didn't right. know some of these that you just had to know. You had to know that your minority students felt underserved. I'm, I'm paying you $50,000 a year to go to your institution to get this quality education. And I can't even go to you when I'm having issues. I can't remember what school it was on Twitter. And I was looking at, and they were talking about this particular university and they kept, it was faculty that was even saying, I have students that have more pull than me in my class. Wow. And I'm just like, how does the, how do these things get ignored? But now in this year of 2020 vision, now it's important and now you want to pull people to the carpet and now we have to have change and i'm grateful i am grateful because 
God does not sleep. I heard that my whole life. And, you know, there are times we feel like, is that true? Because this is still happening. Mm -hmm. This is that moment that it's like, okay, let's go. What are we going to do? I'm going to give you the opportunity. And I think this is our opportunity and we should just take it. We need to take it while it's available to us. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, because the truth of the matter is that it is kind of like this highlighting thing where we can see all of those gaping holes because whether, you know, universities wanted to admit it or not, our students have been pleading for this and, you know, and demanding to be supported, whether that was they were having sit-ins. I know an institution that students were doing sit-ins and they were doing all of that, but it wasn't until something big happened that the, that the administration was like, oh, okay, so we, we, we should actually have this conversation. I don't think I had thought about it in, in the ways that you put it, though. Um, but you know what? I, I, I'm, so do you think after all of this, because I think institutions are real good about knee-jerk reactions. Like, okay, so we're going to do this because, okay, this is what we discovered. And, you know, we, we did this assessment and it discovered all kind of these things. What do you think we can do as administrations to make sure that we don't go back to these, the old ways of thinking, specifically as it relates to supporting um, first-gen students and particularly even more so first-gen students of color? Because I think... We can say we don't know, but then we can fix things. But what do you, when COVID is over, oh, thank God. I'm, I'm so excited to when we can actually say that, right? But when all of, when, all, when, the, dust, when the dust has settled, what do we do to make sure that we don't go back? Because I've often thought about, you know, wow, we're talking about all the, you know, people posting black squares and all of these things. And okay, so what do we do to make sure we don't go back to the very thing that got us here in the first place? So it starts with taking action immediately. Mm. If we sit and be complacent, then of course everything will go back because we'll do the bare minimum and then it'll get quiet and then everybody will be like, well, it's fine because you had an opportunity to do more, but you decided to do the bare minimum because we already tired. Let's just be honest. We work hard, harder than on everybody else than we work on ourselves. We spend more time pouring into everybody than we do pouring into ourselves. Amen. With that being the case, we have to, this is one of those times where we do have to work hard. We do have to take this momentum and keep going. We can't let it go. We can't just do the bare minimum. We have to do the most. You know what I'm saying? And we have to make sure that we're doing it in excellence. We can't halfway do this. And we're doing it not just for us. We have to remember that we're doing it for our students because they're watching us. Um, and that's going to be ever important. Um, everything I do, I think of my kids and my nieces and my nephews. Will they be embarrassed if I do this? Will I, you know, how does how will that reflect upon them? And they don't know that, but that's how I think. So with my students that I serve, it's the same. I have to go hard for them. Um, and this is the time where I have the opportunity to go the hardest, which is to make sure that policies are written correctly, procedures are done, and that I'm holding people accountable. So when these reports happen, this happened to me in my class, we're taking them seriously. Or this happened to me in my dorm when I was trying to go take a shower, this was said to me, or this was done making sure that it's taken seriously at whatever, I don't want to say it sounds so dramatic, but 
at whatever cost there may be, because everything costs. There's a, there's a price to pay for everything. But I think that's this first thing we must do is do everything in excellence. When we make these decisions, when we put these things in place, is to be excellent about it and to just not stop, to be consistent. Mm -hmm. And force our administrators to be consistent too. Where they say, well, you know what? Dr. V always got her stuff turned in on time. It's always done right. She always reports that has her, her data in correctly. So I know when she sends it, I have to actually listen to her because one, she's going to hold me to it. She's going to remind me, I sent you this. I know it's right. What are you going to do? You know what? Um, we're coming to an end, but you, you didn't got me full over here. <laughs> you didn't got me full. Um, I feel like there's, I don't know, a, a part two or something, something where we got to go live on it. You know, uh, who I'm full from from the very beginning to now. I'm full. You haven't. You've said everything that many of us have been pondering and thinking, and just the way that you said it. And I can only imagine what it's like to be in a classroom as a student of yours. Like I, that's probably the dopest thing ever. Um, so the first year they're gonna tell you she's so mean. <laughs> but now my I have my last class of babies because I, I stopped teaching when I transitioned into a registrar position so that I could get acclimated to being a full-time registrar. Mm -hmm. Um but I did do um I did monthly first year sessions with the whole group, an wow. adulting series. That was fun. But um this year now my babies everything like i said it's really i've really watched them go through the pipeline mm -hmm. uh, i don't want to be here to i think i can do this to everything in my life is going crazy so now they're all going to be seniors this year they're all seniors transitioning through COVID, and i talked to all of them on a regular and i kind of talked to them before this and i was like tell me some things you think about for your first year experience and they was like it was hard but necessary mm. yeah yeah. And so being in class with, I'm going to push you to your every limit that you think you can't do. I'm going to make you present out of a, we do a freshman seminar part one and two. So it's a full year with the same instructor. Mm -hmm. They probably present 15 times. Wow. The end of the semester is a, the end of their first semester, they have to do a presentation in front of a panel, which includes the provosts, the vice presidents, the deans, where they have to talk about certain topics um, as it relates to being successful as a freshman. Wow. At the end of the second year, they do an autobiography on themselves. They do a chapter, we go over, they do a chapter and then there's a song that goes with each chapter. So we have the mixtape. It's your book and the mixtape that defines your year as a first. so dope. And so when they are seniors, they get, I, I save the book, whether it's done really well, whether it's done really poorly, however they do it, I save the book. And those who make it to graduation get their book at graduation, exactly how they gave it to me. So they get to see 
their journey from the beginning to the end because they now they can look back and see all the things that they've been through and where they came from when they first got here, their mentality, from the music that they had to soundtrack their life with. And that for me was like everything when I was able to give the first book away back to the student and give it back to her. And she was like, oh my God, I don't even know her. That's because you evolved. So I kind of, it's like I said, my assignments are crazy. You would probably hear them when I give the superhero assignment, you would probably bust out laughing. But when you see them presented, you'd be like, oh, so she crazy, but it makes sense. So I kind of, yeah. Kind of will say first year she is insane. She is mean. No other teacher is doing making us do that, making their students do this. But they're ready. Yeah. Of my twenty-two from that that last group that I taught, my twenty-two girls, seventeen of seventeen of them stayed, and seventeen of them will be graduating in twenty twenty-one. Wow. So I'm excited for that. Like that's exciting to me. Yeah. So that's impact right there. But, you know, it's the experience. We have to give them the experience. We have to force them outside of their comfort zones. And we're still going to have to do that in COVID, but we're going to have to do it covertly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Not let them know what we're doing, but we still be pushing them out the nest. You got to go. You yeah. still got to grow up. This, yeah, this fall is going to be something. It's going to be one for the books, that's for sure. <laughs> it's going to be fun. So I keep telling myself. <laughs> yeah, definitely for the book. I just got to keep saying I'm full. Um, but so there's some questions that we, we, we ask our guests at the end. Um, just to kind of tap into, you know, your personality a little bit. So we definitely want to give you space for that. So one of them is uh, when you think about music, what are some songs or artists that you're listening to right now to get you through this COVID <laughs> that prepare you for the Which, upcoming fall? <laughs> what What are your jams? Y'all finna your... make, I'm gonna sound so ratchetly. Listen, hey, I'm gonna... so ratchetly Christian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I listen to a lot of things. Okay. So I'm gonna preface my statement by saying my mother worked at a country music radio station when I was a child. Okay. So preface with that. Um, so I'm listening to a lot of things. Um, right now, a lot of PJ Morton. Okay. Um, he, he, he taking me, he takes me to that place of it's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, that place of peace. Then, you know, sometimes every so often I might perhaps play a mix. The I might have to hear a little bit. Like, I pretend not to know some of these people, but every now and then a little Meg can never hurt nobody. Right. A little savage. <laughs> you know, just a little classy, boozy, bougie ratchet. Uh, just a smidge. Um, and I do listen to Blake Shelton. Yes. yes. Um, God's Country is that song that I sing loud in my car. I can't sing at all. I can barely carry a note in my hand if it's on a piece of paper. But I will sing God's country in my car so loudly that until my phone rings, I forget that I can't sing. Wow. Playing that loud while I'm singing that loud. So that's one of those songs that I really like. Um, 
and then Forgive Me by Chloe and Hallie right now. Mm. Let me tell you. Yeah. Everything she said. She said a mouthful. Yes. She said a mouthful. So that's the, that's the music I'm into right now. See, I told you it's going to be a little bit of everything. That's good. You know, uh, diverse perspectives. I love it. I love country music. I'm a, I'm a big Dan and Shay uh, fan. They have a song called Speechless, and it's just beautiful. Uh, so what about books? What are you reading right now? So... I just read Sula. I know I'm behind, and y'all probably like, "Oh my God, how how dare you just read it?" I never read it. <laughs> um, um, you know what? It it's coincidental. I was they had were giving away books in the library one day, and she was like, "I have to. I want you to come get a book. I just want you to take a picture. I need somebody to come take a picture." I was like, "I hate pictures." She was like, "Come get this. Come take this picture and get this book." I was like, "Whatever." So I just finished Sula. Um, if you have not read it as a black woman, mm. you good. Okay. Um, I also, well, I, of course I read Becoming just recently. I didn't read it when everybody else was reading it because I wanted to be able to read it with my own mentality and my own eyes and not kind of take on the opinion of everyone else. So I kind of delayed in reading it and I then I watched the autobiography and it made me just be in so much more awe of her mm-hmm. and you heard it here first I'm writing my own fiction book so I'm trying not to read too much other stuff right now as I finish up my book that is not academic base it's just I've always written stories and poetry English major you know right, doing what English right. and so I am finishing up a book called you can't run forever come on yeah. so, yes um, it's going to be I have a pseudonym and all that great stuff um kind of in in memory of my mom so something so we're doing that with it's in the edit, copy editing phase. So I'm hoping that it can drop by the end of the year, hopefully sooner, because it's done. It's just being copy edited. But oh, this come! I'm excited for you. So that's just taking something that I dreamed about doing as an undergrad, and just to say that I did it, and so my mom can read it where she see she's not busy anymore in heaven so she should have time to read it now ah, that's beautiful yeah, so that should be fun for her. Yes. I love it I love, I love it. it man that's I, was scared. I was like should I tell them should I keep it to myself oh, it's, it's coming coming soon <laughs> that'll force me to, to actually finish because I've, I've been so hard on myself about publishing something not academic but Gotta have a little. I I published two books in four months, and none neither one are academically driven, <laughs> uh, because academics to me. Well, first of all, I, I'm not gonna get on this uh, go down this rabbit hole, but I've been talking about a lot about these social constructs that we're using to frame our work that were meant for white males created by white men. Um, so when it comes to academic writing, there has to be a new, a newness to all of this. And I'm not the one to write it. 
<laughs> I know I know my purpose. I know my calling. I know my gifts. I know my strengths. Um, that that's the, I'm the practitioner, you know, in all of this. So the books that I care about writing or, or reading right now are about self-care, about um, how do I own myself? Um, how do I how do I maintain vulnerability and transparency um, in the midst of a world that didn't even want me here? You know, so as so from one black female author to another, uh, I'm ready for your work. Well, y'all pray for, pray me through because it's a it's a love story, kind of not kind of more of drama because mm-hmm. you know that's what we know in college. Yeah. So just, just keep in mind it, it's going. <laughs> You're an artist and you're sensitive about your stuff. <laughs> I'm, Erica, I'm real Erica Badu. Uh, so. Love it. Love it. And um, so the last question that we always uh, ask guys is, what is it about this podcast um, that you enjoy that resonates with you? Um, being unapologetically Black. Hmm. Um, being in a safe space. This feels like a safe space. So everyone that I've listened to and the ones that I watched, I did watch a couple of the live ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels safe. It feels like it's okay for me to be the black girl in the room. And I can say I'm the black girl in the room and I feel like everybody's staring at the black girl in the room. Right. Uh, and it's just empowering to know that as women, our voices matter right. um, in this arena. We're making change and we want to move, push forward. And it doesn't have to be a man's world mm-hmm. because it's still nothing without a woman. James Brown said that, Listen. but so this gave, it gave way to, Hey, we here, we're not going nowhere and we can actually do this. So that's the where the podcast is for me, which is why I listen and I watch. And I was like, one day I'm gonna get to be on here. Oh, I think I posted that like a really long time ago on Twitter, and I was just like, one day I'm gonna be on there. <laughs> when she first launched it, and I was like, dang, I ain't nobody right now, but one day. <laughs> so it's just like for me it's emotional now that it's over and I didn't pass out or throw up or any of that. <laughs> Cause I'm a super introvert Yeah, that I get to be black in this space, safe in this space, educated in this space. And nobody hates me for being those things or envy me for being those things in that space. Mm. Wow. I, th- that was probably one of the dopest responses uh, to that question. Right? I'm a weirdo, y'all. I mean, I'm an Aquarius. We sometimes emotional, sometimes crazy. Just pray for us. Consistently pray for us. Listen, you you bless my soul, I tell you that. This was really good. Definitely. Thank you. Okay, can I just throw something in? Mm -hmm. So I think I I was saying before you before you came back, I don't know if you heard me, but I met this other young lady. She's a professor at Western Illinois University, mm-hmm. and her research is about pre-orientation programs. It would be dope if we can get both on and do a live. Ooh. Mm. I love orientation. I love the collaboration. 
So and you can, I know someone who who um had to create their own because the institution did not want to like not do orientation, so she had to create kind of like this whole online orientation, but yet still create something to where students specifically, first year students felt like supported throughout all of that as well. Okay, okay, well, wait a minute. And I've not seen anybody do what she's doing. And I told her to publish on it. And she's like, oh girl, I don't know if I had time. And I was like, friend. So we can add her, but I got one more. My graduate assistant who did her internship virtually as an orientation and family connections for a university in South Carolina. What if we got everybody on and just kind of did like a mashup conversation where we talked to each one of them and then talked to them as a group? You see, look, Marissa, would you see what you just started? <laughs> look what you just did, girl. I'm my dream right now. I got my first podcast. I got to be on this podcast. I told y'all I'm living my dream right now. So I don't even know how to process forward. I'm like... Too much. I'm so. You should have heard when I told my sister the pitch in which I told my sister. She was like, "Well, just let me know so I can watch." I was like, "But I just don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm so excited." She's like, "Calm down. Just be your regular self." I said, "I don't know if they want that version." Yes, we do. We do. That's the one. We don't want what you give other people. We don't want what you give to other people. We want what you give yourself every day. Oh, that's good. This was good. This is good. So we, we want to truly thank you for your time, yes. your voice, your wisdom. You dropped some jewels. Um, you preached on here. Uh, yes. I forgot my, my, my monies for the collection play. <laughs> I dropped my cash app in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are amazing. And you have a voice listening to you speak. It's soothing. It makes people want to listen. Um, I, I want you to know that. Um, and so don't ever quiet your voice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Don't ever, don't, don't do that. Yeah. Your voice needs to be heard. And, and you have a voice that makes people want to listen. Your voice is going to bring people to you, around you, and through you. That's my word. I'm going to take that word with me for the rest of the week. That's the word I'm going to meditate on. Yeah. All right. There's something in your voice. Yeah, I'm going to leave it right there. Um, But thank you. (laughs) Uh, We we thank you. Um, And, you know, co-host, last, last, last words. I just thank you. I thank you for... Um, your honesty, but then also your passion, because I think sometimes people, when we get, you know, in these roles, they don't all, they lose that in some sort of way. Um, So I thank you for your passion and your transparency on here, but also that, um, yeah, you're just really, you're awesome and you're the bomb. And I also appreciate you sharing, you know, some things that were really close to you in terms of your passion projects, because that's also really hard to do in a space. Um, and you did it kind of nationally because, you know, this yeah, is uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> not just us here. <laughs> Look at God. See how God is? He just like, yeah, you're going to do it now. Right. <laughs> Why not go all the way? I'm just saying. Just, no, I echo what everybody else said. Thank you for your transparency. Because 
and your list about black women in higher ed is that they're layers. And I think that that's what Kelly was kind of talking about a little bit is that in academics, they want you to publish just this, this, and this, but black women come and so with so much, like we just not about to publish articles about what you think we should publish about. We can write books. We can, we can do poetry. We can sing. We can, we, I mean, we can literally do anything that we put our mind to. Right. Yeah. That part. Yeah. And so thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Yay. I feel a lot better now. Oh, I'm going to sleep good tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I should have saw me talking to Jesus. I said, Lord, please don't let me embarrass myself, my children, my mother, my father. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to say to the audience as we head out? want to reiterate that 2020 is this clear vision. It's our year to do the things that we've always wanted to do that need to be done. And let us do those things in excellence and in haste. Let's not wait until, let's not catch the tail end. Let's get catch it by the head and let's take care of it and get it done. We owe that to are the ones that come behind us. Yeah. yeah. That was really said. That's good. All right. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Black Women Voices. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Women Voices. Until next time, be blessed and be safe.